0: Hello and welcome to the Culture Watch Podcast, a podcast of speaking for him. It was a good couple of weeks off for the holidays, but I am grateful to be back with you and jumping right into the fray. I am so excited to be able to offer you this outlet to look at current events and news items from a biblical perspective because we are not called to be of the world, but we are certainly called to reside in the world and to give people the hope of Jesus even as we respond to current events. So I'm super excited uh, that you are here, and I hope that you'll be blessed by what you hear in the time that we have before us. Please make sure that you continue to avail yourself of the regular Speaking for Him podcast, which continues to come out every Wednesday. There's some good Christmas content on there from the last few weeks, so make sure that if you have not already listened that you avail yourself of that. I'm also really excited about what is to come in the new year. We are getting ever so much closer to the 600th episode of the Speaking For Him podcast. Never would have thought uh, in my wildest dreams that I could be talking to you about 600 weeks of continuous podcasting, but we are extremely close and I am excited About that prospect. Of course, it is still a ways away, but you can continue to pray for the podcast that God will give me the right content to lead up to that time. And then also the best way to celebrate 600 episodes in the will of the Lord. Well, with that out of the way, let me just say welcome back and I'm ready to share with you news from the week of January 8th. Well, we are jumping into an election year as we begin 2024 and Joe Biden is already beginning to strategize how he will approach this election and fight against what he sees as a dangerous Republican agenda.
1: I think it's time to get out there. Uh, the, we've had our holidays. We've, the, the, elect, the campaigns are beginning now. This is when people will pay attention. And I think that the president, again, I've always said to members, people don't vote for you because you deserve it. Mm-hmm. But what you have done gives you the the, uh, legitimacy to say, this is what I will do. His message is about what we need to do as we go forward. Mm -hmm. And freedom gives us that opportunity. The kitchen table issues are our motivation and our mobilization.
2: He said what you have done gives you legitimacy, then Biden is in trouble, right? Because no one thinks he has a good record. His approval rating is in the 30s now, 39 percent approve of his job performance. He's entering this new year with an approval rating that lower than any of his seven predecessors at a similar point in their first term. Right. But what she's saying is the same thing that the campaign saying, that uh, the numbers are good. But the problem is the numbers may be better than they were last year. What, but, with the economy? But p- Across the board, yeah. They've got all sorts of metrics that, where they show that the economy is doing better. But people don't feel it because stuff costs more. So anyway, she's just saying he should be talking about bread and butter issues. But what he is doing is he's going to kick off today, and they're going to do it at Valley Forge. They're going to do it today on January 5th. They had planned to do it tomorrow on January 6th, uh, highlighting the riot and, on the Capitol uh, three years ago. And essentially what they're doing, as you can see right there, as he kicks off his campaign in person during 2024, he's going to remind people, and we've been talking about the Joe Biden game plan since March when it was revealed, that he was going to stay quiet for the most time. And then he was going to let people just watch the chaos in the Republican Party. Now he's reminding people of the chaos of the Trump years, according to the Associated Press. So if you look at uh, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, he wants to talk about democracy.
3: Why is he going to do that? He's going to talk about democracy because he (laughs) believes that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. What about Charleston uh, with the horrible shooting took place in 2015? Why is he going to do that? Because legitimately guns are a concern. And he believes he wants to point out that Republicans don't care about shootings, uh, whether they're race related or whether they're school related. And why would he talk about the anniversary of Roe v. Wade? The reason why there was not a red wave in the midterm elections by almost all accounts was because of the overturn of Roe v. Wade Uh, and some of the states uh, that even have no exceptions, he wants to ride that horse. But Lawrence, what I find interesting is, it seems as though Nancy Pelosi, uh, to a degree, is so frustrated that she can't get through to the White House she has to go to a friendly network and tell the White House what they should do as if to say, listen, I've been around for 83 years, 50 of which have been in politics, and you can't win 10 months out of an election playing your ace card, which is Donald Trump is evil and democracy is in the balance. You have to talk about what you did. It seems like a desperate attempt to tell Joe Biden you need another game plan to go along with this one.
0: It's so true, Brian, because everything that, that Nancy Pelosi does, as we know, because she's a skilled politician, is very well calculated. And I think what she's speaking to is the core of the problem with the Biden administration and the White House pre- press secretary's office, that they feel like they can explain away that American situations, their day to day is not reality for them, that if they could just teach them the numbers, then somehow we'll all feel well. I bring this up. Because we are on the cusp of the primary season. And I want you to be thinking about who is it that I should support? What are the things that I find most important about my life? And about what I want to preserve in my way of life? And it's clear to me and to the people in this piece that Biden, uh, is continuing to live in the past. He is continuing to bring up January 6th, even though it was three years ago, and even though it was not extremely significant as far as being a violent attack. You know, they've compared it to 9-11. They've compared it to Pearl Harbor. They compared it to every major disaster in United States history, but only one person died and there was very little actual violence. And most of all, it was just people um, storming the Capitol because they were frustrated with what was going on with the election. Not an appropriate thing to do. I'm not saying that. But if you look at all of the details of this particular Attack! you see that it looks like it was staged and that it was per- perpetrated for the purpose of besmirching the president. And this is where they want to live. They want to continue to hammer on abortion rights because they want you to believe that preserving human life is not an important birthright of the American. They want you to believe That the economy is better even though everything is still way more expensive than it was three years ago. And they want you to believe that the economy is growing at a far greater rate than what it is. There is still a lot of people looking for economic help and there is still a lot of misunderstanding about what good economics is. And we've seen in various cities, I just recently heard about another city, I wish I had it in front of me which city it was, but they were going to raise the minimum wage like $4 almost overnight. It's probably going to be over a series of months, but they think that just raising that minimum wage is going to change everyone's economy. The problem is that everything adjusts to accommodate the minimum wage. I will bring you back to Seattle a few years ago when they decided to do a citywide minimum wage of $15. A couple days before that happened, they interviewed an employee at a pizza shop, a small business, and he was excited about the $15 minimum wage. Problem was that over the next few days after that minimum wage was put into place, he was let go from the job because they couldn't keep all of the employees and still afford to pay the required minimum wage. This is something that people don't realize. And I think it's important for us to realize that elections have consequences and we need to make sure that we are going to the ballot box and putting forth our opinion and making our voice heard about who it is that should represent us in the next presidential election. And I think we've seen over the last three years, the Biden administration has done everything they can to minimize what it means to be an American, to not prioritize our country, to really hurt everyday hardworking Americans. And so I'm really excited to see who will emerge from the Republican field. I mean, I know there's an obvious frontrunner, but I'm really hoping that people will do their homework and vote for the person that they want to be in that office who will best represent their interests. There is no perfect candidate. There are no perfect people running. Um, if there was, then we would be a lot better off, but we live in an imperfect, fallen world, so everyone is going to bring their own imperfections to bear when they run for office and when they vote for office. But the key is to remember the principles of our democratic republic, which greatly involve having personal responsibility and doing what we can do to rise above our circumstances and not blaming other people for our problems. America became great because America was good, because we had a high moral standard of life. Some people get upset when we talk about the biblical standard of America. They say that's too narrow-minded, that you can't fix yourself to that kind of moral standard, and that that is narrow-minded and bigoted to do so. But I ask you this. If you do not have a moral standard upon which to live, then what are you living for? What is the impetus for living as a quality, contributing American if you do not have a moral standard? What we are experiencing in our country right now is moral chaos because everybody's truth is valid and there is no definite, concrete, unalterable truth and the results are madness. We have situations in California where they are saying that as long as you steal less than a thousand dollars worth of merchandise, it does not have to be prosecuted. We have situations where, as we'll talk about in a few moments, someone can do two very egregious things and still blame racism for the end of their job. We have situations where we care more about making a statement for political reasons than producing a good story that is a representation of the classic that we are trying to produce. This is the world in which we live. So the decisions that we make in the coming months on the primary election trail matter. They matter for you. They matter for me and they matter for our children and the generations to come if the Lord tarries. Now again, I understand people who say, because they are exactly right, that politics is not the end-all be-all. It is not the most important thing in the world. The most important thing in the world is to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the reason that I do this podcast is because every issue in an election, every issue in legislation is a moral issue. And so it is incumbent upon us as a moral people to make a moral declaration about these issues. That is why the Culture Watch podcast exists and that is why it is so important for us to discuss these issues and to really look at candidates on both sides and ask ourselves, what have they accomplished? What is their worldview? What are they looking to for help and how do they view the government the reality is that the government should be in existence to assist Americans in having the best possible quality of life instead in many ways the American government has become a dictator of what you must do to have the life that they want you to have and it is not a sustainable model, and it is not a motivating model for the future of our country. The next story that I want to share with you today is that the president of Harvard resigned from her post this week, and the media, as well as she herself, is blaming racism.
1: Calls for Claudine Gay to resign began after her shocking congressional testimony last month when she failed to say that calls for genocide of Jews on campus would violate the school's conduct policy.
2: That calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? It depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign.
1: Well, despite all of the condemnation after that, Claudine Gay waited nearly a full month after that hearing to resign and did so without apologizing for her incendiary testimony. Instead, she said in a statement, it has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am, and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. She ought to talk to some of those students on campus who were Jewish when they were looking for the Jewish people on campus. Some of the media were quick to blame conservatives for her resignation. Here's from Politico. How the right toppled Harvard's political, or Harvard's president-associated press, said this. Harvard's president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. The New York Times with this. Conservatives see Harvard president clouding Gay's resignation as a victory. Gay's defenders also blaming racism. There is this sort of open war on Black progress, black history, um, Claudine Gay, the president uh, of Harvard University, at least up until she resigned, um, is now the latest casualty of that.
3: There very much is a racial uh, component because those presidents were not subject to the same kind of assessment the same kind of criticism Uh, they were not categorically dismissed as diversity hires that's why clouding Gay was under attack the fact that she's a black woman and the first person uh who is a, a black american to lead harvard uh only added to their thirst to dethrone her and, you know, those attacks, you don't have to I don't have to say that they're racist because you can hear and see the racism, in the attacks. When people like Vivek Ramaswamy say, uh, you know, uh, OK, this is this is a problem about diversity and hiring. So
1: when they were hunting Jewish faith students on campus and those students were fearful and we were toward the beginnings of the Israel Hamas savages war those savages, October 7th, what they had done to trigger that war. When all of that was going on, on Claudine Gay's campus, she was in charge. Those were the victims. Now, people say she's the victim, so now she's saying it.
3: And what is black progress about being anti-Semitic? What is progress about refusing to defend those underserved communities, that vulnerable community that is frightened to death, literally, on your campus. The fact that she now comes at, as Tom Elliott pointed out, in her, in her resignation letter, zero references to apologies, zero, to, zero anything. It's 17 references to I, seven to me, 11 to my, and one to myself. She sees herself not only as the victim, but as the center of the universe, when the universe was so much bigger than that. And it's incumbent upon Harvard right now to right this wrong, because it was she mm. that was a blight on their reputation.
0: So, let me get this straight. This woman, Claudine Gay, who was the president of Harvard, which, it's worth noting, she's not going anywhere because she's a tenured professor there, and she's made no indication that she's actually leaving the school. That's the first thing that I want to mention that is kind of strange about this situation. Even though she was, I believe, the president of of the university for only about eight months. She continues to be a professor there. But let me get this straight. This woman had two very specific reasons why she was called upon to resign from her post, one being that she refused to decry anti-Semitism. She said it, it depends on the context whether it is a punishable offense. And yet she can claim that racism was the reason for her removal. Where was her outrage about racism when the Jewish students were on her campus fearing for their lives? This does not make sense. The second reason for her being called upon to leave this post was plagiarism. If Harvard is the quality institution that they claim to be, then if a student plagiarized in the manner in which she has, they would be called upon to either leave the school or redo their assignments because plagiarism is not acceptable for a student. So if it is not acceptable, For a student, why should it be acceptable for a professor? And why, with these two egregious things known about her character, these have been discovered to be facts. With these two things known about her character, why then is she able to say in the media that this was racially motivated. I guarantee you, if this was a white woman who was the president of Harvard and these two accusations had been levied at her, she would have been gone a long time ago. And not just from the presidency, but from Harvard itself. This is the challenge which I give to you every time you hear one of these stories is to ask yourself if a white person did the same thing, what would the response be? And if the response would not be the exact same thing where someone is given the benefit of the doubt and they are supported despite their mistakes, then you have a reverse racism problem. You can't hold her to account for the moral failings that she has because she is black. And thus, that supersedes everything, and asking her to leave when she has not maintained a position of integrity at the school is simply racist. This is how messed up we are as a society. Claudine Gay knowingly facilitated racism at Harvard. She downplayed the significance of antisemitism. We've already talked about that. I'm not going to belabor it. But she did. She said it depends on the context. My friends, anti-Semitism is wrong, wrong, wrong. It does not matter the context. And I guarantee you that if I wore blackface, I would not have the opportunity to say, this is the context in which I did it. Remember a few years ago, there was a bachelor or bachelorette contestant, I forget which she was on, who had to bow out of the show because she had worn an antebellum dress to a party. There was nothing in the post on social media about her views on race. She had not made any personal attacking views on race. It was simply because someone saw on her social media that she was wearing an antebellum dress and she was called upon to step down. Not only that, but when the former host of the Bachelor and Bachelorette franchise, Chris Harrison, defended her, he was then summarily dismissed. So, you can't tell me, on one side context matters, but on the other side it doesn't. A couple weeks ago we shared the story of that young boy who was a Chiefs fan, who wore black and red war paint to the Chiefs game, nine-year-old kid, and he was accused of cultural appropriation, only to find out that he actually is an American Indian, and not only that, but that the story that originally broke this travesty deliberately hid the red part of his face so that it looked like he was just simply engaging in blackface. This is the media with which we have to deal. Again, unless you can tell me that a white president would have the same treatment as she, then there's an inequality here that needs to be rectified. And... Years of historical racism do not go away simply because you're racist against another race. Also, there is a lot more racism than just black-white racism. There were Catholics of Irish descent and Italian descent who came to America for freedom, and they were discriminated against as well. We did some awful things as a country in the name of racism. But today, in America, as we know it from a legal perspective, any race can succeed. And any race can do hard work and be rewarded with the ability to pursue the American dream. That is the America we live in. And the reality of the fact is that I think that in a lot of cases, if someone owns up to their failings, they will be received a lot better than people who insist they aren't wrong or who blame some external factor for the wrong that they did. And... I just think it's really sad that the president of Harvard who achieved this great milestone and this great position threw it away because she was not willing to take responsibility for her actions. Remember responsibility is the key to liberty in this country. It really truly is. Well, my next story comes out of Iowa, and it's an extremely sad story. It's another school shooting, and surprisingly, it happened on the first day back after Christmas break. And when I saw this story, I at first wasn't sure when it happened, and then I realized that it just happened this past week. And so we need to be praying for the people of Iowa, and that the school will be able to get the help that it needs for the many students and families affected by this tragedy.
2: Mike, when do we expect to get another
4: update? Uh, that's unclear right now, but we are waiting for some concrete information, The very latest that we have right now is information uh, through the Associated Press citing an unnamed law enforcement uh, source saying that the gunman indeed is dead and dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Beyond that, there is information that there are two additional gunshot victims who were taken to Iowa Methodist Medical Center uh, in the state capital of Des Moines, about 40 miles away. Uh, there is some information as well not confirmed through the law enforcement sources. Uh, that one of the gunshot victims indeed was a school administrator. What we have through the official sources, you heard it there from Adam Infante, no additional threat to the public. The uh, gunshots rang out at 7.37 a.m. before class started, so you didn't have many people inside the school itself. Uh, It's also alarming that it happened uh, just 11 days before the Iowa caucuses. You had politicians like Vivek Ramaswamy, who had a campaign event uh, nearby, his first one of the day. Now, that has been canceled, according to Ramaswamy in lieu of prayer and discussion about school shootings. Uh, He also noted that people uh, in the Iowa area were not surprised that there was a shooting in the area. They said it was just a matter of time before it happened. And to quote Ramaswamy with a uh, statement he put out, we have a psychological sickness at the core of our country right now. Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa chimed in, said our hearts are broken by this senseless tragedy. Our prayers are with the students, teachers, and families of the Perry community. What we're hearing from Witnesses so far. Uh, Xander Shelley, 15 years old, said she was, uh, he was in the uh, hallway of one of the classrooms. Shots rang out. He ducked inside a classroom for protection, was grazed by bullets, uh, texted his father to say, uh, to tell them they thought there was a shooting taking place at the hospital. The father said those were the most terrifying moments of his life. Also, uh, Rachel Karras, 18 years old. She was in the band at school because they had band practice apparently before school started said the uh, band was there practicing, heard the shots ring out. Uh, The band director instructed the students to run. Terrified, they ran. Um, Right now we have information of only two gunshot uh, victims being treated and uh, information through an unnamed law enforcement source that the shooter himself is dead. John?
0: So this shooting took place this past Thursday in the small community of Perry, um, and it's about 40 minutes away from Des Moines. And it's always a tragedy when something like this happens. I think the most surreal thing about it is after these things happen, they always say, well, there were warning signs, but for whatever reason, they were not taken seriously or noticed by the right people at the right time. And so tragedy ensues. This shooter was 17 years old. Uh, He shot and wounded a total of five people, and an additional sixth person, a sixth grader, was killed, so five wounded, one dead, after this shooting in Perry. It happened before school started, so the exposure to students was minimal, and That is a silver lining, if you can call it that, that more people were not in danger or exposed. There were people that were coming to be dropped off at school and realized that there was a problem, and so they immediately left the school and did not even um, go in. I'm not sure how long this will delay studies, in this Iowa town, but it will definitely be something that will stick with them for a long time and probably forever. Because something like this is not something that can be erased. It's not something that you get over. It's the loss of life and it's the disregard for humans. And I just hope that people realize that the only hope in a situation like this is Jesus. That is reality. And the only hope of avoiding situations like this is Jesus. Remember we talked earlier in the episode about the importance of a fixed moral standard and people mock it. But without a fixed moral standard, you have chaos. This young man, it says in the article that I read that he was bullied, that he was struggling in life. And the only thing that he thought of to do was to go to this school and shoot people. That is so sad. I think it's made all the more sad by the fact that this is the first day coming back from Christmas break which means that he waited until school was open again to come to the school and to shoot people. And then, as in so many cases he turned the gun on himself and he is no longer with us as well. But I hope that as we process this that we don't turn this into yet another discussion about how bad guns are. A gun is an inanimate object. It's not capable of being bad. We the people are the ones who have evil parts apart from Jesus. Jeremiah 17:9 says it this way, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The reality is, without the power of Christ, my heart is desperately wicked. Your heart is desperately wicked. So what we need to do is to get to the heart of the matter and to let our children know that the only hope is found in the risen Christ. We need to do what we can as well to keep our children safe. If it takes armed officials at the schools, then that's what it takes. You've heard it said before, and I truly believe it, what it really takes to stop a bad person with a gun is a good person. And I know that there are certain people who will say, well, there's a certain level of weapon that you don't need. But one thing that I've always reflected on is that as the weapons of our enemy get more advanced, the weapons we need to use for defense need to be more advanced. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe in the Second Amendment, which says the right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. Now everything I've heard about the police response in this case has been great. Apparently they were on the scene and dealing with the situation within seven minutes. Which is about as good as you can expect or desire in a case like this. My thoughts and prayers go out to everyone who was affected. I remember... When I worked in the school for five years, that was my greatest fear. Was that one of those days we would come into work for a normal work day and we would have to deal with an active shooter on campus. I always said that I know that I don't have the ability to duck But I always told the kids that if there was a threat, they could feel free to get behind me because my greatest desire would be to protect and preserve them from harm. And we need a culture that desires to protect and preserve our children from harm. We need to realize the destructive patterns that we've started in our culture where we allow Pornography in our schools. We allow discussions about sexual identity to be primary in classrooms when those discussions should be taking place with parents at home. We allow so many things that in any other context would be inappropriate. You want to test that theory? Just go into a school board meeting and read from some of these books that are in middle school libraries and they will tell you that it's not appropriate to read in public but yeah they will still keep it on the shelf in the school library we expose our kids to all this filth we tell them that life isn't important we tell them that unborn babies have no value and then we wonder why something like this happens It happens because we become disconnected from the moral standard that is the solid, inerrant, unchanging word of God. That's the bottom line, folks. There's nothing else that can be said. There's no other hope for America than to train our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I hope and pray that you will take this time to hug your kids a little extra today, that you will talk to them about Jesus, that you will help them make sure that their eternity is secure so that whatever happens on this earth, that they will be ultimately safe and preserved in the arms of Jesus. And I hope that you will talk to them about the importance of submitting to God, of having a higher authority in this life than yourself. The devil wants nothing more than for us to serve ourselves. But God says we should serve one another and by serving one another, we are serving Christ. What a wonderful truth that is and what a wonderful world we would have if we embraced it. I have one final story On a lighter note, Michigan got it done against Alabama and is advancing to the national championship game tonight as you are listening to this. And I am super excited. So here is a clip with the radio voices of the Michigan Wolverines celebrating that victory with this call of the final play And I share their excitement. Milrow puts a man in motion, empty backfield, low snap, quarterback, run up the middle. Yeah! He's not going to make it! Yeah!
3: Nowhere close as the Michigan defense stops Jalen Milrow and the Wolverines (laughs) will play the
0: National Championship one week from tonight. (laughs) <laughs> oh,
2: my goodness.
0: I am super excited about this game uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I love the Michigan Wolverines, and you always want your team to do as well as possible. Number two, their last national championship uh in the 1997 season was slightly contested because the coaches gave Tom Osborne of Nebraska kind of a ceremonial national championship. They had a great team, but at that time there was essentially like four different polls or four different trophies that you could get for the national championship. Two of them were more minor, two of them were more major, and the biggest one being the AP. So Michigan got like three out of four of them, and then Tom Osborne and the Nebraska Cornhuskers got the coaches' national championship. But there was no mechanism for the Cornhuskers and the Michigan Wolverines to play each other, and so it was kind of a mixed bag. It was exciting to win the national title, but also it felt incomplete because the Nebraska Cornhuskers claim a national title as well. So this is the opportunity, thanks to the college football playoff, for Michigan to become the undisputed national champions, and so we will see how they will do against Washington. Now, this last game that I played the clip from, they took it to overtime and won twenty-seven twenty 20 over Alabama in overtime. And as much as I hate to admit it, I'm afraid that scenario will most likely repeat itself. I think these are two very good teams, and I think either it's going to come down to overtime or it's going to be like a field goal victory in regulation. But it's going to be a close game. Michigan's going to have to play their butts off like they did this past week in order to get it done. But I believe they can, and I'm very excited about the possibility of Michigan bringing home the national title. And they've been through a lot this season with the sign-stealing scandal and whatnot, but I just wanted to say a few words about that. First of all, if sign-stealing, so-called, is truly against the rules, it should be punished. I believe that. But the thing that I have the problem with in this whole investigation is that it seems like the penalty is not defined. And so I would hate for it to be a situation where people who didn't like Michigan are just going to use it as an opportunity to stomp on them and do something ridiculous in order to make a statement about this when in fact it is, by a lot of accounts, a low-level infraction that many teams have been guilty of. So my call to the NCAA and to those involved is to make sure that the punishment fits the crime and that you don't punish people who are not involved. But as I said, I am really excited about Michigan bringing home the national championship. And so I hope that next week I will be able to celebrate that. Uh, Jim Harbaugh actually sat out a total of six games. And the first three were coached by committee by three different guys. The second three were coached exclusively by Shamir Moore who incidentally could be the next coach of the Michigan Wolverines if, in fact, Jim Harbaugh decides to leave for the NFL. I hope that he doesn't, but uh, it is very possible that he might. And so I wish him well if he does. I've really enjoyed having him be the coach of the Michigan Wolverines. He's made some pretty gutsy moral Stands as well as particularly in the pro-life movement. And I've heard him and his brother, even as recently as a few days ago, testify to the goodness of God and the importance of life in Jesus. And so that is an exciting thing as a Michigan fan to see them proclaiming Jesus and using their platform as an opportunity to share good with the world. And I'm super grateful for that. Well, that's about all the time I have for today's show. I hope that you've enjoyed this look at current events from a biblical perspective and that if you do enjoy it, you will share it with others and let them know how they can be blessed by the content of speaking for him. I hope above all that you have a great week and that you keep serving the best of masters.